I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. That's quick. I know. we got to go. Quick. It's a, it's a new week, uh, and we have a new guest, one that we've been looking forward to for a long time. We have Dr. Colin Ross, the author of The CIA Doctors, uh, who's going to be talking this week about government records of CIA mind control in the public. And uh, it's a show you'll never forget. So with no further ado, here's Dr. Colin Ross, and we'll be back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, no victim of mind control, which is really good because this stuff is scary. Bionic. Hmm. Or not aware that you're a victim of it. I may be amnesic, it's true. Well, uh, we don't mean to make light of this. This is one of the most serious shows we've ever done on Future Quake, which says a lot given the subject matter we've covered over the years here. We have a guest that we have really been looking forward to have on our show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today we have Dr. Colin Ross who is the author of a book called The CIA Doctors. And we're going to talk today about government records of CIA mind control of the public. A very critically important show that I want all of you all to pay attention to. You may need to listen to this show a number of times and then pass it out to people that you know. Dr. Ross, I want to welcome you to your inaugural visit to the Future Quake show, a place I, I'm sure you're going to find that you really belong at. Well, thanks very much for having me. Well, it's it's a real privilege to have someone of your distinction with us here and someone who's dedicated yourself, uh, I'm sure, at at great uh, personal consequence and expense uh, to do something to sound the alarm for people and also to try to assist people uh, who have suffered and succumbed to the kind of subject matter that we're going to talk about today. Uh, To begin our discussions of your book, The CIA Doctors, which I personally found possibly to be the most disturbing book, yet yet a very important book, that I have ever read. Um, can you please share with our listeners a brief capsule of your background and your credentials? Sure. Uh, I'm a Canadian by birth and training. I went to medical school in Edmonton from 77 to 81. Did my psychiatry training in Winnipeg from 81 to 85. Worked as an academic psychiatrist in in Canada from 85 to 91, and then I moved to Dallas in 91, and since took out U.S. citizenship, so I'm a dual citizen. And I uh, consult to uh, run, and I'm responsible for a trauma program at a hospital in Dallas, another one in a hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I consult to a third one in Los Angeles. So my work-a-day uh, endeavors involve basically a psychotherapy treatment model for people who've had horrendously abusive, neglectful, violent, traumatic childhoods. And now as adults have all kinds of mental health problems. Now, if I remember right, you, you have uh, authored something like over 100 peer-reviewed uh, papers, yeah, medical papers? In between 140 and 150 somewhere now. 140, wow. 150. You know, I've written a handful of those myself in my career field, and uh, to get peer review, uh, you've really got to show yourself and establish yourself in your field. I, I have to tell you, you don't sound like the uh, the demographic uh, or the profile 
of uh, what people call Internet crazies or loonies that come out with this compelling information. It, it sounds like you're well-respected in the, in the medical field, in fact, a leader in this area, uh, which gives credibility to the amazing message you're going to give us today, correct? Yeah, I think that's true. Now, in the field, I'm a little bit marginalized because I deal with dissociative disorders, which are kind of a off on the edge of psychiatry field, and they're a little bit controversial. But um, I've published in all, most of the mainstream, you know, leading journals of psychiatry, spoken all over the world, etc. Published mm-hmm. books with leading academic publishers, etc. Mm-hmm. But you you paid your dues. Yep. In the medical field, and you you have a leadership role at your at your current clinic that you have, and and elsewhere in your other activities. So so within that regard, some people may dispute some of the nature or findings of your work, but that's not that's not uncommon in yep. the medical field. Oh, that's but uh, you, you certainly uh, people respect what you've accomplished uh, in the process of, of developing your skills and ability. I like to think so. Uh, <laughs> your book uh, shares some shocking evidence basically from declassified government documents that I understand that you obtained via the Freedom of Information Act that that would shock members of the public in disbelief uh, regarding what our government and institutions like the medical, psychiatric, and academic fields have been shown to have done to its own citizens. Right. It, which which they would be in total disbelief if these facts were not backed up by hard evidence that yes. you cite and reference in your book, and also even much of it's even in the appendix of the book itself, correct? Exactly. Yeah, if I went back in time, say, 20 years, and I heard somebody saying, here's what happened, I, just, I would absolutely not have believed it myself. Okay. Uh, you know, you, you hear a few quote. I, I'm, I'm getting really sick of this term conspiracy theorist because I find most conspiracy theories are actually derived by our own government mm. for us to swallow and not by individuals. Um, <clears throat> but 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 this kind of information, um, p- people would say there's absolutely no way. Although maybe in the back of their mind they they would wonder, is this the kind of crazy stuff? Because I see things on TV and movies. Right. Is any of that partially true? And and what I was left with from reading your book was that not only are these things we see in movies and TV true, but it's much worse than what they would ever imagine to show because we would never believe it if it was put in a fictional context. You know, uh, you begin by sharing a history of our nation's flirtation with controversial and unethical medical studies in a period surrounding World War II. Right. Uh, with the horrible effects, yes, of uh, unsuspecting members of the public of these experiments, uh, in the in the zeal of these institutions to gain knowledge, and, and I guess funding in some cases, without any kind of compassion or conscious evidence, can you start by summarizing what types of research, the, the kinds that you cite in your book, was conducted by scientists, uh, including many that had German Nazi backgrounds, who then became quote our guys in Operation Paperclip. What what are some of the horrible experiments that we normally associate just with the the terrible Nazi regime that then became commonplace here? Well, actually, the history goes back to even before the Second World War and before the Nazis really gained control of Germany. And this is just another example of something that if I just heard it casually mentioned, I'd immediately dismiss it as obviously, quotes, conspiracy theory. Somebody told me 20 years ago or so. And 
what I'm referring to as the Tuskegee syphilis study. And this was started in uh, 1932, and it ran up until 1972. And it was funded at different times by uh, the U.S. Public Health Service uh, through most of the life of the study. The people who were involved in it included the Surgeon General. And at the 25-year um, mark of the study, each participant in the study got a certificate signed by the Surgeon General and a $25 check, which was a dollar for each year of participation. And the results of the study were published in mainstream medical journals. I have copies of the papers and discussed and uh, basically signed off on by leading physicians, uh, cardiologists, etc. So what was the Tuskegee syphilis study? It was a study where uh, in Alabama, 400 black rural uh, uneducated guys with syphilis were recruited into the study, plus an equal number of comparison subjects who didn't have syphilis. And then these guys were followed up at uh, clinics systematically for 40 years and the whole purpose of the study was to prevent them from getting any treatment for their syphilis, right well up into the antibiotic era when antibiotics were commonly available for syphilis. And the purpose of the study was to find out what happens when somebody has syphilis that goes untreated for a long time. Hmm. And surprise, surprise, the results of the study were that people get sick more and die earlier if they have untreated syphilis. And... That took a 25-year-old, 25-year study to, to figure that well, out? <laughs> this is the thing. It's so preposterously, ridiculously, scientifically stupid and unnecessary. You can't yeah. possibly learn anything from it that isn't obvious. But, but here's the real thing that didn't quite sink in while I was reading a book in the background material. Okay, so there's these 400 guys. They're subjected to active syphilis no treatment allowed. The nurse who ran the study got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the U.S. Public Health Service. And mm. obviously they got sick, they died. But what were they doing during those 40 years, 40, 50 years? Obviously they were having intercourse with a lot of different women. Right. And we know for absolute scientific certainty that some of those women must have got pregnant. And it's an absolute scientific certainty that there was children born with congenital syphilis as a result of the study. I mean, it has to be. There's no yeah. possibility that yeah. did not take place. So that's about as ugly and as monstrous as it can get. Funded here on U.S. soil in the 20th century by the government, published in all the mainstream medical literature. And an expert who had done a similar study in Norway uh, earlier in the 20th century came over and consulted on it and discussed it and reviewed it. And the only reason it was ever shut down was uh, a journalist got wind of it in uh, the Bay Area and wrote an Associated Press article about it. The whole thing blew open. It was immediately condemned and shut down. Hmm. And it was so, shut so, down so, in 1972. So this was not 100 years ago, and this was not some mad scientist in a basement somewhere. So, so this was a template of the kind of activities of which you have... Uh, lots and lots of these kind of just gruesome, much more gruesome even experiments, as terrible as, as this is, to have untreated syphilis. But 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 the the imaginations are the kind of things we picture Nazi doctors over in the you know the time of the Holocaust doing. Mm -hmm. But it's done on American soil. 
but but this one you mentioned has such a wide swath of people who were aware of it who kept secrecy and looked these patients in the eye and did not tell them they were telling them they were getting treatment but they, at the same they told time, them that they had bad blood that was the phrase that was used which is which is a racist connotation That's in and a, of itself yeah, eugenics yeah. Yeah. Well, so, by so, bad bad blood meant they've got something wrong with their blood it wasn't that they were black it was that they had some sort of blood trouble very vaguely defined mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you know wasn't that serious and the doctor would take care of them and all that but but they did give the indication that they were receiving treatment yeah exactly proper treatment yep. which they knew they were lying and they were not giving treatment and everybody was in on the story except for the patients the exactly. the uh, academic community was aware of it the uh, in the public uh, publication field the medical community all these people were in on it they were receiving funds from the government. The government was paying them. And, and these are prominent, prominent universities, correct? Absolutely. And institutions that participated. And it, it wasn't like it was disguised or vague. The, one of the papers that I have a copy of in my files published in 60-something, I forget the exact year, was uh, Untreated Syphilis in the Male Negro, a 25-Year Follow-Up. I mean, it was... Man. Published and it wasn't the, the hottest thing of all is that it wasn't secret. Hmm. Just kind of business as usual. Now, what are the odds that this study? I'm being sarcastic here, obviously, but let's say somebody said, "Well, that's interesting, but that's uh, black males. What we need to do is a similar study in white females. How about daughters of U.S. senators?" There's zero possibility that would ever get funded or done. That's exactly right. So there's this gigantic racist element in there, obviously. Well, you know, war itself could be construed that way. is is a grand experiment in thinning out the population, hmm. and you don't see a lot of, uh, you know, senators and others uh, having their children picked right. uh, to go to those other large-scale men. Which, which actually, the wars often cover as a a cover for this kind of activity or an excuse for it to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> do you have any other comments on? Uh, some of the background you shared in your book about well, uh, Project Paperclip and the and, and the fact that they took these these scientists that, that we now recognize that we're doing horrible things, although it was under another country's name, but now we've suddenly said that it's okay because they're they're good old flag waving Americans that are doing it. Well, it wasn't just good old flag waving Americans though, and right. everything that I'm telling you is absolutely totally documented, and if I ever say something that's you know, just my theory or my opinion, I'll tell you. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's all absolutely objectively documented. So right. the situation at the end of the war was that the Europe and Germany in particular was divided up into zones with the French, the British, the Russians, and the Americans controlling these different zones. And it was a very chaotic time period, and there was a lot of uh, war criminals being processed and tried and so on, and there was a lot of German scientists kind of up for grabs. So there's a big scramble where the um, these basic four groups, Russians, British, French, Americans, are trying to recruit Nazi scientists uh, to come over and you know work in whatever area of science they're involved in. And this was the whole range of scientific expertise, everything from ball bearings to propulsion to film, any scientific area mm. you could think of. And so the problem was that a lot of these guys... These Russian Nazi, I mean, these Nazi scientists 
would not be allowed into the United States because they were classified as war criminals and therefore they couldn't get State Department visas. So uh, military and the precursor of the CIA set up a, a network of projects of which Project Paperclip is the most famous. And these were designed to identify these individuals and bring them over to the United States while routing them around the State Department visa requirement. So they're basically kind of smuggled into the United States. And you could you know, argue this is necessary for national security and on and on and on. But it wasn't just a few uh, kind of mad scientists again. It was uh, Werner von Braun and the leading members of the rocket program. Uh, mm. Von Braun was the guy who designed the, the two rockets. They were okay. manufactured at a place called the Middlewerk, and the uh, mm -hmm. labor for that was supplied by Camp Dora, which was one of the mm -hmm. concentration camps. Is that at Pinamunda, I believe? Yeah, Pinamunda, yeah. And it and was built with uh, the, the the deaths, the the people working to get to death exactly. of, of slave labor, basically putting his designs into place. It was a full operational death camp, Nazi atrocity kind of labor force. When the um, Camp Dora was liberated by the Americans, there was thousands of bodies on the ground at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, Von Braun... Uh, actually ran the whole operation. He went in person there. He viewed the operation. He saw the work tunnels. He was fully aware of all the conditions. Mm -hmm. So therefore, State Department would not have let him in. Another character who got in, in the same basic route, uh, named Albertus Strukold, was a physician. And he's regarded as the father of aviation medicine. There's a library right. named after him on one of the Air Force bases in San Antonio. And yeah, I just had that open to that page. I was going to ask you about him because he's another, quote, hero yeah, he, uh, within the U.S. military. The uh, Texas State Legislature actually declared an Albertus Strugold Memorial Day, and the Daughters of the American Revolution were very active in honoring him. So he's, again, very public, very honored, very well-regarded guy. And people who reported, so he was working for the Nazis before the war and was brought over under paperclip, people that reported to him, people on his own administrative level, and people that he reported to were all tried and convicted at Nuremberg, and he wasn't even interviewed. So these guys were you know, whisked away, uh, got basically full commutation of any possible sentencing or prosecution for war crimes brought over here, and were honored and became an integral part of the scientific apparatus of the United States. Mm -hmm. All completely documented fact. Their, their peers were hung at Nuremberg, whereas they had the good fortune to be useful. And the kind of experiments and we're talking about are uh, you build a special chamber, this is the Nazi experiments, and you put a, a gypsy or a Jew or whoever it might be in the chamber, all of a sudden you drop the pressure down to the equivalent of 60,000 feet, basically instantaneously. The person dies a very quick, agonizing death. You pop them out of the chamber, stick their head underwater, and then cut their head open and see if air bubbles come out of the arteries in their brain. Mm. So it's it, absolute maximum conceivable medical atrocities. It's barbaric. And, and the people went through absolute agony when they were exposed in these experiments. Yeah. 
of uh, extremely low pressure exposure as if they'd had a high altitude ejection. Um, but but what what I find interesting is that these people had the perfect um, d- demographic and nature to be picked by these guys in in Western intelligence. In that they had already shown they were not going to be impeded by any sense of humanity right. that would impede their 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 progress. That they'd want to continue their experiments and and not have any kind of compassion whatsoever that would impede what our goals were. Right. Uh, and, and of course, the Russians were doing the same thing as well too. And we basically uh, you know, went, a, yeah, that's the kind of guys that we want. That's right. Wow. Now the <clears throat> I don't want to jump ahead here, but I think this will help our listeners to put this in perspective. And, and I just like to mention that uh, uh, I, I won't speak for Tom here, but uh, I, I was very supportive of wars that we've been engaged in or might be engaged in uh, my entire life right up until just the last year or two when I started asking some questions and my guests started asking me questions and I've started to have a feeling that it's getting harder and harder to find a quote good war Uh, those scenarios are getting fewer and far between to be able to rationalize Uh, but I know a lot of people older people I've worked for the Defense Department myself for many years and others uh, where, in fact, I got a certificate from uh, Donald Rumsfeld uh, for helping winning the Cold War. Mm. It's a c- certificate I received. No, it's not. But, but when I look at the Cold War, I think um, I'm not so sure that was a good war either. Although a lot of older people I know felt that they were absolutely needing to do everything they can to stop the Red Menace for stepping foot on our shores and taking over our women and children and going under the hammer and sickle in a godless environment. And they did that with a completely clean conscience and de- devoted themselves to that task. But i just like to, for our I listeners to... I agree with to, everything to, you just said, by the way. Right, and, and I think they did with a full and clear conscience. But there's a little quote you have in your book, and I don't want to get ahead. We're going to talk about G.H. Uh, Estabrooks, who's really in the center of the whole mind control subject matter here. He's like the dark here. Sith Lord. Well, he, he's, oh, in yeah. the, he's in the center of this. But he put a quote in this about basically having a stiff upper lip about not st- stepping back from some of the more sordid things about basically taking over people's minds mm-hmm. and souls and using them for their own purposes, even for their own destruction. Uh, he, he says about this in the, in the early days uh, of the Cold War. He says, the British are paying a terrible price for refusing to look reality in the face. We might easily do the same if we became over-squeamish in our determination to protect ourselves ethically. We may rest assured that certain world powers will not hesitate one moment to use hypnotism directly. They are convinced of its value. Then it will be incumbent on us to beat them at their own game. But under these circumstances, the hand of the military must not be tied by any silly prejudices in the minds of the general public. War is the end of all law. When we speak of keeping within the rules of the game, we are childish, because it is not a game and the rules never hold. In the last analysis, any device is justifiable, which enables us to protect ourselves from defeat. So so what I read from that is that is the rationale for the activities that will be from the rest of your book and the rest of our discussion in that in, in all cases of war, the end justifies the means. Uh, it's only about winning. Uh, that's what it's all about. And if we have to make ourselves as depraved as the most depraved elements of our enemy in order to do it, uh, we still classify that as winning. 
uh, even if we might betray our fellow citizens. And what he implied there is that deceiving the American public and keeping the American public completely in the dark of what it would find totally offensive and objectionable, uh, they believe they're in elitist status where they can make those decisions better than the American public can of what's in their best interest. So they proceed forward with these activities with their conscience salved by the fact that they have come up with a presumed enemy that they want to protect themselves against. And again, I'm not challenging the... In, in, in your book, you're very, very careful about that, too. Uh, you, you speak praise of the CIA, the constructive things that they've done in society. You're very, very clear that intelligence <laughs> has a point right. uh, and a purpose. But, but also you're very honest and objective in, in what happens. And I would just like to remind our listeners is that that is a world that we're still in today. We, we work with people. I come out of the Defense Department and background, and that mindset is as active today as it ever is. If they have to deceive every one of us, if they have to take some of us and sacrifice us via experiments or via other purposes or plans that are totally unknown to us, if they have to sacrifice 49% to save the 51, that is the, the basis that they work upon, and that's how they completely justify what we're getting ready to talk about here. And, and having a soft heart or any humanity has no place, whether we're in a, quote, hot war or cold war or whatever it is. So uh, do you agree with me that's important for listeners to understand, to put yeah. a context into, into this? Absolutely. And let's let's just kind of say we agree with Esther Brooks there. You know, and you can't deny it. It's partly true. I mean, war is horrible. People die in wars. There's going to be wars. We can't just be, you know, Mr. Nice Guys. People are going to die on our side and on the opposing side when there's a war, no matter who started it. So, therefore, you're justified in doing this, that, and the other. So let's just go with that. Okay, so then why do we have the Nuremberg trials? Mm-hmm. Why did we prosecute you know, some of the people in Yugoslavia? They were just doing exactly what Estherbrook said. So when the other team does it and we win, then we call them war criminals. When we do it and we win, it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's extremely hypocritical double standard. Winners write the history books. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, I'm uplifted, not really bionic. Isn't that the case? Uh, yeah. We don't have time to talk about the horrible things that we talked about in the history of our government. But anytime you all think, hmm, I can't imagine our government would do anything like that. Think about this. Get this book, read it, and you won't think that again. Someone else who can tell you a lot is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We've got to go. Okay, let's get out of here. Come back tomorrow for the next segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Childish Bionic. <laughs> That's not even foreshadowing. No. Uh, uh, I'm glad to hear a laugh because it's such a serious topic we I have know. this week. It's really tough. We uh, we have a great guest that I hope we can have back, Dr. Colin Ross, the author of The CIA Doctors, one of the most important books I've ever read. I recommend every one of you go purchase it. It's called Government Records of CIA Mind Control of the Public, and that's what we're themed this week. And so we need to cut away. We have very little time, but uh, here's Dr. Ross, and we'll be back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. And the other factor we cover here, you know, we we are a, a faith community that listens to this show. Right. So so we believe that there is a higher power, and that God, we are accountable to God for our humanity and for uh, the the principles that He established. That they are even established to all. Of Romans chapter one says all of humanity has the general understandings of His nature and and and, and mercy and grace and decency and these kind of things. Thou shalt not kill, etc. Uh, and so, having known all that, we we operate, or at least we apply. In fact, you know, it's very common these same people talk about us being a Christian nation, but that we apply these principles that we have an actual superior position of decency that we're trying to preserve. Whereas th- these kind of activities t- totally are contradictory to to a moral stand and ground that we say we're trying to preserve from the the savages that are without. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, we're sinking to the level of the enemy and committing the atrocities that we're condemning the enemy for, because I mean, basically it's because God's on our side, sort of attitude. But it's clearly not godly or Christian or just basic human decency. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we've eliminated. We say we're a Christian nation, but we've eliminated any faith element. That if we act honorably, that ultimately we'll be rewarded. Right. Uh, it may be harder, there may be setbacks, but we no longer have any kind of grounds to say that we we believe in a supernatural power that will intervene in our efforts that ultimately, after great suffering and sacrifice, we will prevail. Uh, we've totally divorced ourselves from that source because we cut ourselves off of the decency required to even actually supplicate uh, that godly force to to ask that he would you know prevail in our midst here. Uh, going back to some specific uh, activities... Um, there were a lot of activities that went on in these early days uh, during and after World War II regarding radiation and chemical and biological experiments that were performed on unwitting medical patients and even entire communities. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this the mind control experiments are set in a kind of background, and they're all interconnected with a whole host of experiments on radiation, uh, non-lethal weapons, which means different kinds of energy beams, chemical warfare, uh, germ warfare. And all the funding and all the participants are all kind of interconnected and cross-linked. And, again, this is all totally documented and even published again in mainstream medical journals. So, uh, And basically got geared up and really got rolling after the Second World War and really going pretty momentum by the early to mid-50s. So uh, one experiment was, and this would be justified as we need to understand how all this works you know, so we can help our troops and defend our country. So people were studying how uh, radioactive materials are handled by the body. How long do they stay in the body? How much disease do they cause? How are they excreted? And so on. Which is a good thing to know. But 
published in a leading medical journal as a study where the, uh, the subjects, the guinea pigs in the study, are mentally retarded kids at a school in New England. And the parents are told that it's a study of nutrition and the kids are being given some sort of vitamins or nutritional supplement. But actually what they're given is plutonium in their cereal. Mm. So This is children, children being given this. Mentally retarded children who have absolutely no way they could comprehend what was going on or protest. And the parents are directly lied to by the investigators. It's not just we forgot to tell them or we kind of whitewashed it over. They directly lied about what the research was. And uh, this was funded by U.S. Department of the Army and published in mainstream medical journals. And I have photocopies of papers, again, leading mainstream medical journals like The Lancet and so on, where whether this was ethical or not is being debated. And there's, there's somebody writing in and saying, no, no, this is perfectly reasonable because, you know, we had to know this and we had to know that. And That's that terrible. point of view is being published in a, in a mainstream leading medical journal in the 1970s, which, again, the, you would think um, is totally impossible, but it's absolutely factual. Right. You, I mean, you, you have the documents are in black and white, the government right. activity. And it's like you said, it's not just the government. People in academia and elsewhere, medical professions, see that. And few people raise an eyebrow of of the of the humanity of that now if if some of these experiments were done on animals, they could face all sorts of prosecution, correct if they use the same kind of protocols uh, possibly yeah but 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 here we take children, precious children, they may be developmentally disabled to whatever degree does has no change on what their humanity is. Uh, they're 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 valued and treasured by their parents and community by God Himself, and, and, and here we're putting plutonium in their cereal. Right. Uh, the reason why I think this is so timely today is that when we hear our news, and, and I'm speaking mostly from the Christian community, mm-hmm. who 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 has a large part of media, national media, mm-hmm. and talking about the war effort, and we talk about the savages overseas, and the terrible savages that. That uh, first of all, we need to destroy them before they kill us. But right. secondly, we need to try to convert them, so they can take our positive Christian values that we have, and they can exhibit those. And maybe they can do it as perfect as we can and put plutonium in their children's cereal. Right. Exactly. I presume they have the decency not to do that. Well, this um, is. But evidently, we don't. Well, my my main beef, like you alluded to before, is not with the government, not with the CIA. I'm not quotes against the government or against the intelligence right. You know, my dad took shrapnel in the southern Netherlands in the Second World War, fought for the Canadian Army. I firmly believe that if it wasn't for the might of the U.S. military and intelligence community, the Russians would have snuck over the North Pole and took over Canada a long time ago. I probably mm-hmm. would have died in Gulag. But mm-hmm. that doesn't give uh, the government, the military, the intelligence community the license to do anything they want. And my main focus is on the psychiatrists who run these right. programs, and it's the insane violation of medical ethics and just basic common human decency by the psychiatrist. That's where I focus. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, because all of this would be impossible without physicians and psychiatrists and psychologists participating. Mm-hmm. They're, they're heavily involved every step of the way. Well, I'm glad you made that point clear because uh, you make it clear in your book. 
that that your main issue are with your your peers in the medical profession who took a Hippocratic oath, who are understood to be taking activities expressly for the well-being of their patients, and here they were paid or given some type of compensation or, or, or reason to do things that are harmful directly to their patients, and furthermore, were not disclosed. Uh, in most, almost every case, we're not disclosed that, that they're being subject. And when I think about your father, um, even if he was drafted, and let's say even if it was against his will, mm-hmm. uh, but for whatever reason, when, when he goes and runs out of that trench across that field, he knows what he's getting into. Right. He knows the price he's paying. He had a, maybe had an opportunity to write a letter back home to say, you know, I may not be through this one, but... Uh, you know, we're fighting for a cause and a purpose, and right. it's it's terrible, but I know. These are unwitting people that by their own citizens are doing it to them. Their own fellow citizens are exposing them, and, and, and we trust these institutions. You know, the, the medical community we trust to protect us for our, our physical well-being from from diseases and other things or harm. Our other government institutions, we, we hope to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic, but they, in a way, have become our enemy to the people who are who are doing these kind of experiments on our own people, and that that's why I'm so distressed when we when we see that uh, evangelical Christians are voted to support torture to a higher degree than even uh, Islamists in Turkey in recent polls. So it, what what has happened is this mindset that we're talking about that's been at least a generation or two, as your data exposes, in the government uh, of the end justifies the means has now pervaded even religious elements of our own society and culture itself. Right. Uh, so so we're talking about putting plutonium in the serial children. Medical patients also had plutonium chips, so they come in for routine surgery, right? Broken leg or something. Well, there's one they guy who's part of the brain electrode implant team at um, Harvard, um, which is a whole other story and part of this whole right. thing. So he's Dr. William Sweet. So he was uh, a member of the team that was implanting electrodes in people's brains on contract to the uh, U.S. Uh, the Office of Naval Research, and again, all documented. And he was also involved in radiation experiments. So there's uh, one book called Physical Control of the Mind by a neurosurgeon named Jose Delgado, who is at uh, Yale, who's, uh, there's a video that you can probably find it on YouTube these days. So it's a video of him in a bull ring with a bull, and he's implanted an electrode in the brain of the bull, and the bull comes charging at him. He pushes a button on his transmitter box, which sends a signal, radio signal, to the bull's brain, and the bull just turns to the right kinds of runs off. And, <laughs> well, okay, so that's science, that's research, that's a bull. But in his book called Physical Control of the Mind, which was published by a mainstream academic publisher in the 70s, his proposal, the subtitle of the book is Toward a Psycho-Civilized Society. And mm-hmm. what his proposal is, is he thinks we should we equals a small elite group of doctors, should pop brain electrodes into the entire population, all members of the military up to the rank of general, and all of these people's thinking and behavior would be controlled electronically by signals sent out from a central location. And he's absolutely like dead serious about this. This is mm-hmm. the next step in human evolution. 
and in um, again in medical journals and in this book uh, from a mainstream U.S. academic publisher, there's photographs of a 16-year-old girl who's got brain electrodes in her head for no therapeutic purpose whatsoever, on contract to the the Navy. And depending on which button he's pushing on the remote transmitter box, she's either pounding the wall furiously, kind of staring off into space with an empty grin on her face, or strumming at her guitar. And then he's got papers where he shows um, cats, uh, and in one experiment, monkeys. So he's got a cage full of monkeys, and there's a dominant alpha monkey. And normally all the other monkeys sort of cower in the far side of the cage and make sure they don't cross the alpha guy. But what he did was he um, implanted an electrode in the alpha monkey's brain, the boss monkey's brain, and then he set up a lever inside the cage. And when the other monkeys in the cage pressed the lever, it sent a signal to the monkey's brain and just passively sat in the corner. So after a while, the other monkeys figured this out, and they're just cranking on this lever whenever they need to. And you see the boss monkey just passively sitting in the corner, and all the other monkeys are now roaming all around the cage doing whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And he called these animals, cats, dogs, monkeys, mechanical toys. But he did the same thing to human beings. And one mm-hmm. was a, a boy 11 years old. And he said that, uh, and again, this is in mainstream medical journals, this is being reported and described. When he pushed a certain button on the transmitter box, the boy started saying that he thought he was a girl and that he wanted to marry Jose, Jose Delgado. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is this is part of a, a plan that if these people were not stopped, they literally would absolutely want to put electrodes in the brain of the entire populace. The, the, so this, this is not uh, just, the, you know, some some crazed person somewhere said such and such. This is in a published book. Very detailed, very explicit, very clear. Well, and, 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 and maybe he spilled the beans a little bit more, but they're more and more comfortable in, in sharing these kind of thoughts. You know, there there have been others. I know Alex Jones and many other people who have done research. Just going back in the actual writings of political elites, and they make many of the same comments, Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that, if they can keep people uh, pacified, and it's it's very interesting that some of your scientists you mentioned in your book also had connections to the Huxley brothers, to Julian and Aldous Huxley, mm-hmm. right. uh, who, who simply in Brave New World and elsewhere provided a picture of a world just like that, right. where people were drugged up on soma, uh, they were controlled. Uh, they were there at least enough to maybe do some productive work, but not much else to basically stay out of the way. And this is the view of the the elite world. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, this is the real view. This is the fantasy of the elite world. Uh, The elites in medical, scientific, political spheres that would like to create a utopia themselves. And these are not just things that that are rumored suggestions. They put it in their own writings. And you just mentioned one from a medical official of using the technology they have on their behalf to be able to accomplish that same thing. Right. And then you see... uh, in the uh, Denzel Washington remake of the Manchurian Candidate movie that came out a few years ago, there's right. a scene where brain electrodes are being put in the uh, guy's brain. So you'd watch that in a Hollywood movie and you go, oh, yeah, well, that's Hollywood. Never thinking it's actually literally been published in medical journals and tried out 
in the United States. Well, the bulk of your book is, is on the mind control issue. And, and I would submit that to me that is the ultimate assault to a person. It's one thing to be physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, all of these other very, very horrible things. But if you actually take over the mind, the functioning of a mind of some, some person, you've crossed every line. And, in fact, we believe uh, biblically that even when you look in the last days in Revelation when it talks about the mark of the beast, it shows something that's akin to that, a complete taking over of the, the, the mind, thoughts, and actions of individuals and total devotion with no turning back. And that's sort of the ultimate uh, tyranny one can put over another person. You can even put someone in a gulag, and between their ears and their own mind, they can harbor thoughts of freedom, thoughts of independence, even though they may be able, be able to physically experience it. Yeah, you can no longer react to whatever stimulus is in your in your purview. You know, if mm-hmm. I slapped you in the face, then you could either slap me back or storm out of the room. Mm-hmm. If I've got a if I've got a chip in your brain, then I get to control the response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, ultimate the, the ultimate stealing of mm-hmm. freedom. Which which books like 1984. We're not sophisticated enough to show all the technology means to accomplish this, but they had their means in in room 101 to basically get people to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5 and to be able to accomplish it. And even if it doesn't serve any purposes of the state, they have a sadistic desire and pleasure of being able to exhibit and show their power over the common Mm-hmm. People, at least as exhibited by their writings and these yeah. other things. Uh, g- going on to some, uh, uh, just a, one other little quick thing before we get into the mind control further. Um, th- these experiments were not just done on unwitting medical patients, although you know, prisoners, but people just coming into a clinic trusting their doctor, not knowing their doctor has a relationship in these studies. You know, totally unaware of what's going on, they'll have a piece of radiation uh, put in, you know, uh, something radioactive put in them. But but entire communities were doused, were they not, with biological and chemical agents? Were they released totally unbeknownst to them over portions of major cities? Yeah, and again, totally documented. So there's various examples of that, including radiation being released. There was a, one radiation experiment where a cloud of radiation was released over uh, Spokane, Washington, and surrounding areas. And the amount of radiation that the population was exposed to was greater than the Three Mile Island accident. So it's a serious dose of radiation. In, um, uh, forget the exact year, but in the 60s, there was a whole bunch of different experiments on how the wind affects dispersal of chemical and biological weapons, which is you know, something you would want to study. But again, what was done was they developed a Whole, a big batch of a bacteria called Serratia maricens, which is very mm-hmm. unusual, rare bacteria. I heard about it in medical school, but you never, ever actually see a case because it's so rare. And mm-hmm. it's supposedly harmless. And what they did was they uh, released a whole bunch of this in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I have, again, from a medical journal, a paper where the um, author of the paper, who's just a regular physician, is describing this extremely rare, surprising, unusual, unexplained outbreak of Serratia maricens infections with people getting extremely sick from it in the Bay Area starting immediately after this experiment. And uh, things were released into the subway system in New York, 
so it's a whole range of um, different kinds of chemicals, different germs, viruses, bacteria that have been released on the public. Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to leave it at that because we've got much more to care about. Gosh, but we could we could stay all day. That, that alone, that stuff. That yeah. that alone would be severe enough. Uh, going into the mind control uh, part of things, can you explain to us what the what the purpose and the scope of the Bluebird and artichoke studies were by the CIA. Sure, and an important fact about all this is one of the sort of disinformation accounts of this was, oh well, we were just reacting to what the communist Chinese were doing to our downed pilots during the Korean War, where they quotes brainwashed them and got them to confess to germ warfare, and it was just defensive and reactive to what those bad people over there were doing, but. The CIA mind control program, Bluebird, was signed into action by the director of the CIA three months before the start of the Korean War in <laughs> April of 1950. Oh, man. So clearly it wasn't just reactive. These things were already planned, funded, and up and running before the Korean War started. And there's a series of them. They actually are, there's a few of them that go back even into the 40s, but the CIA was formed in uh, 1947, so there couldn't be CIA experiments before 1947. And uh, the, for, of the declassified ones that we know about, Bluebird started in 1950. It was then rolled over into Artichoke, which was then rolled in over into MKUltra, which in turn was rolled into MK Search. So it's a continuous line of experiments with different cryptonyms running up until 1972. And then after that, Except for some of the uh, psychic spying programs, everything's classified after that. Hmm. Wow. So that's okay. kind of the time frame of it. But these are sort of the early days of getting into the mind control purposes. And, and if you could explain the, the general nature of what involves these mind control experiments, they basically involve a dissociative process, um, splitting up people. Are a group of disorders that are in the American Psychiatric Association, you know, official diagnostic manual. And dissociation basically means the opposite of association. So it means disconnecting, detaching, splitting off from. And that's a typical sort of uh, hypnotic phenomenon where if you're a good hypnotic subject, like a really good hypnotic subject, I've seen films of people who are having their gallbladder out. They're wide awake, they're experiencing no pain, they're munching on an orange, and they're perfectly comfortable because they've been hypnotized. So they're not, like, tranced out, gone. They're awake, alert, chatting with persons making the film, but experiencing no pain whatsoever. And their blood pressure is normal, their pulse is normal, and so on. So there's no doubt that you can split off memories, split off pain, split off arousal. And people can do this in a hypnosis experiment, or they do it naturally when they're being abused by, say, mom or dad, and they just imagine that they're not there anymore and somebody else is taking the brunt of all the abuse. So that's kind of dissociation in a natural setting. Mm -hmm. And the most complex form of dissociation is multiple personality disorder, which is officially called dissociative identity disorder. That's when you have, quotes, different people inside that take turns being in control of the body. And, of course, it's not literally different people. It's all parts of one person. But the individual experiences it as literally separate people. And I work with these people clinically who've 
just created it on their own to cope with child abuse. And often one part of the person will be talking to me and explaining that they've been cutting on the other person, like slashing their wrists and so on, because they're angry at them or to punish them. But their own body is completely unaffected hmm. uh, because they absolutely firmly believe that they're a separate person with a separate body. So the purpose of mind control overall in general, military CIA mind control, is exactly what it says, to control people's behavior, to control their thinking. Uh, and the number one feature of it all, as far as I can figure out, is amnesia. So the, the most famous form of mind control would be the Manchurian Candidate, which was the remake by Denzel Washington recently, and then originally it was a Frank Sinatra movie back in the right. 50s. And the Manchurian Candidate is an artificially created multiple personality. We're using hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, drugs, a whole variety of techniques in somebody that you have total control over. So it's either a, a mental patient in a hospital, it's a military recruit, it's, it's a, a prisoner. And so somebody that you have a lot of control over. You work on them for a long time. You create this new identity, and, and then that new identity is sent out on whatever the mission might be, which could be infiltration, penetration, assassination, whatever. And so this kind of an off-to-the-side debate about this. Is it really possible, using hypnosis, to get somebody to do something they wouldn't ordinarily do? And if you believe it is, then you believe, yeah, mentoring candidates are possible. If you think, no, that's not possible, then you don't believe in mentoring candidates. But that's sort of a whole diversion as far as I'm concerned. The purpose of the mentoring candidate is not to get somebody to go shoot somebody else. You could just use a normal recruit or special forces person to do that. The whole rationale of it is amnesia, so that if you give this newly created identity the assignment, the out front part of the person has no knowledge of it whatsoever. And then they're captured and interrogated. The out front part of the person is genuinely going to know nothing about the mission and is not going to give up any classified information. That's the rationale of it for me. But mm -hmm. in general, the whole purpose of it is controlling people's behavior, thinking, actions, opinions, etc. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And T. Bionicus. And uh, just more information about the worst experiments. Can yeah. you imagine putting uh, plutonium in the cereal of yeah. children? Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, no big deal. We're going to uh, abuse you until you disassociate and then train you uh, to be amnesic and go and do stuff for us. Yeah. And then if, so if you get caught and you spend the rest of your life in a gulag, so be it. You mm -hmm. know, you're an unwilling volunteer. Yeah. Uh, speaking of unwilling, we need to bring in Merv to tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. I know we just got started, but we got to go. Potential mind control candidate, Murph. That's right. We gotta go. Come back for tomorrow's section. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
Welcome to Future Quake. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, just appalled at this stuff, bionic. Boy, isn't that the case? I, I don't know if our listeners, if you can believe this all, all I can say is go get the book, the CIA doctors, mm-hmm. look at the actual government documents that are scanned mm-hmm. in there. Some of you may shrug your shoulders and say, well, so what? Yeah, I figure we do bad stuff. But you know what? That bad stuff hasn't stopped. Yeah, and the thing is, is you know, like I encountered this with somebody I was talking to. I was telling them about this thing and that thing and, and these other things that we, we've we talked about historically here on mm-hmm. Future Quake. And I got done talking with him, and he said, you know what? Quite frankly, I don't care. And I looked at him dumbfounded. That's a very said, honest answer, because that's probably the way a yeah, lot of people Yeah, and I are. said, well, that's, you know, he and he kind of went on. He said, I mean, you know, they haven't done anything to me, and... Yeah, you know, that's I'm, what it's I'm all. Getting retired. They don't know. They haven't done anything. Like, yet. They don't know if they. Are you it. kidding? They're gonna do stuff to you. Yeah. They are gonna do. You have been lucky. And they that may the have already, and you ha- don't know. Yeah, you could that that ham sandwich that we just had over at the park there yesterday. Mm-hmm. You could, that could be laced with cyanide or plutonium. Yeah. Well, even if they weren't tracing him uniquely. Yeah. The the fluoride you've talked about in the water we mm-hmm. drink, things like that. Fluoride heads. He's been affected in a way that he doesn't even know. Yeah. Not even privy to know. Just like these people we talked about in the Tuskegee study. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what was happening to them. All they of the people they trusted. They bad blood. But, they just got bad blood. But Sorry. it's a combination of institutions. It's mm-hmm. our government and medical institutions, all these other groups. You know, one of these groups we didn't talk about was the Seventh-day Adventist. Did you know they were part of this process? No. To expose gases over large communities and stuff like that. It was funded by the Seventh-day Adventists. What? And, and supported by them. Wow. Yeah, get the book. Get the gotta, book. You'll I find out about it. That. Yeah. Well, like 20 copies. We need to go to the interview first. So no further ado, here's Dr. Colin Ross uh, talking about his book, The CIA Doctors and Government Records of CIA Mind Control of the Public. And we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. It, what, mm-hmm. what I sense is this is a phenomenon that was discovered based upon, upon some natural but chaotic Event, sociological events that happen in people's lives where they have a traumatic event, and, and this is a coping mechanism that pops up to deal with it. And people uh, in academia and the government say, hey, we can harness that for our own purposes. And right. people like uh, Dr. Estabrook and others uh, were, were big on selling that uh, within the government. And he sold that it is very something... aggressively. He was quite a salesman. Mm-hmm. But they, 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 they felt like they could somehow harness it, control it, and eventually learn how to do it in a reliable fashion. What disturbs me is when I think about these other doctors who were involved, like the gentleman Delgado we just mentioned, mm-hmm. who, 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 who also had a world philosophy, had a life philosophy, right. that he saw, hmm, it, wouldn't it be neat not only just to have little small individuals you, you had control, whether it's electrodes or, or, or hypnosis-based effects or drugs, whatever, what about if all of humanity was controlled in this way? That's the most sinister it, level of it, yeah. If you know that these people also have those leanings, that, you know, not just picking, I mean, it, it, it's, it's horrific enough to think that certain unwitting individuals could be picked off the street and be used for these purposes, maybe end up uh, being held in a gulag somewhere on a mission totally unaware of what was going on with themselves. But when you look about it toward taking these same skills they've developed, and, and the only information you have is what the government has been willing to give you, correct? Right. I mean, they've redacted a lot of information. They've oh, yeah. whited out names. And, yeah, I, I mean, redacted. you've done 
you've done you've done incredible investigative work to to actually sort of figure out who these people are by piecing the other pieces of data you have. Right. But but I presume this is the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. So if they had this kind of capability in the in the fifties, in the fifties to do these kind of things, in the fifties and later in the sixties. Who would know the data that has not been released to us about being able to take these kind of isolate activities and possibly extend them on a wider scale? Michael Aquino. Is, is that, I mean, is that crazy? Or is that, is the feasibility no, no, exist there? I'm asking you to speculate, Dr. Ross, but uh, it, it just seems to me that, that they have a, a, a mass um, public mindset and interest even though they're experimenting on an individual basis and selling it based upon an individual case-by-case basis. Um, you know, I, I know I'm sort of jumping to the end point ahead of time here, but that's sort of where my line of thinking is, is seeing where this is going. Uh, so, so, so one thing I was led with, and I, I don't know a whole lot about hypnosis. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, I've not studied it. I don't want to uh, hang things on it that aren't justified by the data. But I'll have to tell you from reading the book, it was so commonplace, maybe because it was just such a concentrated set of data from so many different doctors and others that used it regularly to just like a padlock, to lock and unlock or, or you know, a combination safe. People who, who went back from one to the other using this technique to unlock this information that was secreted away, it led me to believe that hypnosis is something that is extremely dangerous in the wrong hands, particularly in the fact that your book shows that you really can't even trust, for the most part, the people you go to to not even know what the agenda is uh, of what they may be doing uh, when they put you under some kind of treatment like hypnosis, that that it is an extremely dangerous thing and that you shouldn't just um, very, very casually give yourself over to hypnotic treatment by anyone. Is, is, is that too extreme a position or could that be justified from this well, data? I think it's actually generally true about everything, uh, not just hypnosis. But hypnosis mm. is a f- strange, all of this has so many layers and twists and turns to the story. You can get lost in all the twists and turns eventually. But like several of the leading hypnosis experts uh, who publish in this area and are well-respected and so on have the opinion that there's really nothing to hypnosis at all. It's just kind of a a social ritual where people enact the role of the hypnotized individual because, you know, that's the way the social role is supposed to be played out. They don't do it consciously. They actually believe they're hypnotized. But hypnosis is nothing other than just kind of a strange social ritual. And that's a big opinion in the field. And there's people who have research and they debate it back and forth and so on. Like anything in academia, there's always different opinions. But one of the strange twists on it is you would think, okay, that's just honest academic opinion. It's disagreement, different points of view. But who's the person who's done the most to make hypnosis seem extremely powerful, extremely dangerous, and has spearheaded, got in place, legislation in a lot of states where if you've been hypnotized, there's such a high risk of your memory being contaminated that your testimony is no longer accepted in a court of law. So this, the psychiatrist who has really spearheaded that whole set of legislation was Martin Orne, who's one mm-hmm. of the most widely regarded hypnosis experts of the entire 20th century, who mm-hmm. also was, uh, um, this is going back to 1956 or so now, 
He was cleared at top secret as a contractor on MK Ultra. He also contracted with the NSA and branches of the military. And he was actually active in the Manchurian Candidate programs. So he was creating multiple personality disorder on contract to the military and the CIA, using hypnosis as one of the major tools for creating mentoring candidates, and then was very active in setting up this whole social movement called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. And the False Memory Syndrome Foundation was really ran, and, uh, and there was other uh, MK Ultra contractors on the board of this foundation. They ran a very organized campaign to discredit the diagnosis of multiple personality, to say that it was really all just created in uh, crazy therapies by crazy therapists, and that you couldn't trust any of the memories these people were coming out with. So that all got rolling after the uh, period in the early, in the mid to late 1980s, when therapists were starting to treat a lot of survivors of sexual abuse, and a lot of people in therapy were starting to remember more and more details of their abuse. And then people started in therapy started talking about, well, it wasn't just my dad who abused me, and it wasn't just at home, it wasn't my uncle or the mm -hmm. dirty old guy down the street. I got taken to a military base, and I was experimented on, and they were using hypnosis, drugs, spinning me around, memorization techniques, and then it would escalate up to systematic sexual torture of these patients who were kind of supplied to the doctors by their dads, basically, either because the dads were in on it or the dads were pedophiles mm -hmm. themselves. Right. So we started hearing these stories from patients, which we couldn't prove or disprove, and then all of a sudden this organization with documented top-secret cleared MKUltra contractors on its board starts this organized campaign to sue all the therapists, discredit the diagnosis, say it's all false memories, you can't trust any of it. That's not just but a you, wow. coincidence. That's a disinformation program that I was actually a target of. Wow. But, but, but at the same time, you have government documents that were received from the government internally that admit they were doing these very same types of things. Right. From, from from their own lips, in other words, that right, they right. have these documents. You you put them in your book. People can look at them there and see uh, what you've uncovered. You're very careful to to expose all of this. But but the thing that was so chilling to me is that these were average people going to their doctor that they trusted, not having any idea whatsoever that they had a relationship with the CIA. Right. These were average people on the street. They didn't they didn't wear a you know a cloak with their Collar turned up, you know, and a fedora uh -huh. hat and sunglasses. These were average people in your neighborhood that served as doctors. They may have had a relationship through a local university and then also did it through there. But, you know, you implicate people like Johns Hopkins University, some of these major institutions in Harvard, Stanford and Harvard. Stanford, UCLA, Yale. Some of our, some of our most respected places. Yeah. We're using unsuspected people. And, and, and the other thing that, that it just came across to me as a neophyte reading your book, mentioning hypnosis, is it just seemed to be sort of a passe kind of thing between these doctors on the inside, is they'd hypnotize somebody, do whatever they please with them, send them over, somebody else would get a hold of them, unhypnotize them, take the information back out. But th these poor people were like ping-pong balls, totally unaware of what was going on, 
most of the time horrible things were done to them, right. uh, things like sensory deprivation, any kind of thing that could, could almost cause near insanity yeah. as a means to help facilitate putting him in this state to begin with. So, so it, it, was, it was extreme torture to begin with to, to get them there. And then often they, they were exposed and shot up with drugs, all these other kind of things done routinely back and forth. And they were just like a lab rat or an animal back with these prestigious laboratories. And, and hypnosis was used back and forth to put them in whatever kind of person they wanted to put them in, mm-hmm. in their state of mind. And that it made me really, really fearful of just wanting to go into a doctor, even if a doctor very legitimately said, you know, I need to put you under to understand what's going on in your subconscious or elsewhere or otherwise. Yeah, because I don't know. <laughs> how do you know. How do you know who these people are working for? Because it appeared that there, there's no real easy way to tell the agenda of the people who you might be interfacing with. That's true. And like, so we've been talking about, okay, hypnotizing somebody and controlling their memory. A lot of things we've been talking about, a listener could go, well, that's kind of mild. That's not that big a deal. But let's go to the documented high end of it. Over and over and over in medical journals where people are describing these experiments, they'll say, well, you know, out of 11 subjects, one died. Out of 13 subjects, two went psychotic and had to be treated with drugs and shock therapy. Just casual comments like that. So uh, this guy, Ewan Cameron, who was part of the team that went and investigated and interviewed uh, Korean, uh, not Korean, Nazi war criminals for the Nuremberg trials, was uh, uh, 19, early 60s this was, um, was an MK Ultra contractor at McGill University in, in uh, Montreal. And I have the medical record of a woman who's been compensated by the Canadian government for this because the Canadian government took over the funding after the CIA dropped out. So the Canadian government's officially compensated this woman. It's all in her medical records, completely you know, factual and proven. And it's just exactly the scenario you were painting. She's in the early 60s, 1963. She's a young mother. She's got five kids uh, of a very young age. She's kind of overwhelmed. She's depressed. Her family physician, uh, and this is a chapter in the book, her family physician refers her into McGill for the great doctor who is very famous in world psychiatry, president of various psychiatric associations, founder of the World Psychiatric Association, uh, starts treating her. And the treatment is she gets, uh, from May to September of 1963, over 100 electric shock treatments. And each treatment, Hmm. instead of the button being pushed once, the button is pushed six times. So she gets literally the electrical equivalent of uh, 600 electroshock treatments delivered over a short period of a few months. And this is all described in the medical records, and the nursing notes are completely banal, just business as usual. Here I am mm-hmm. on my shift, writing a note, going home later. You wouldn't think anything out of the ordinary was going on you know, based on the tone of the notes. But what the mm-hmm. notes describe is this woman is incontinent of urine and feces. She doesn't know her own name. She doesn't know the date. She doesn't know where she is. She can't recognize her children. She can't recognize her husband. And this is called depatterning. And uh, you and Cameron described this in the American Journal of Psychiatry. 
and the purpose of the depattering was to completely break the person down. And then stage two was called psychic driving, where they would play tape loops over and over and over and over and over, like tens of thousands of times with programmed instructions, keep the person in uh, drug-induced sleep for weeks and weeks at a time. And this is what happened to this woman, Linda McDonald, who I interviewed in person uh, in the mm -hmm. 90s. Very charming, bright, together person. But when I interviewed her in the 1990s, she was still unable to remember a single thing from the time of admission back to her birth. And when she was discharged from the hospital, she had to literally learn how to use a toilet, uh, learn all her basic life skills, how to boil an egg. She'd forgotten all these things. Mm -hmm. She forgot how to play a guitar. She was an accomplished singer mm -hmm. and guitarist before that. And when her children would go out to play, she had to set up a, a kind of bulletin board thing in her kitchen, and she'd put a pin of the, in the location of, so she'd know where her child had gone to play, because otherwise she would forget right away. Hmm. Now, Dr. Ross, as I understand, the, I mean, there's so many testimonies like this in your book, that most of these people were, were generally all right people. I mean, either yeah, they were just taken off the street. Problems. Right. They, they either were just taken off the street in general or they had something minor, but they were seen as an opportunity. Right. And these people were broken, not by their own psychoses or, or internal problems, but by our people, by our institutions. Right. They were pur purposely and with foreknowledge done, and then they were just sort of cast off after they got information. W w would you suspect, like I do, that you know there, there are so many people that were implied to be part of these studies just in your book. And your book only can cover the, the data that they gave you, right. not not many of the reports that go on. Who knows how much broader it is. But would you suspect that our homeless shelters and our sanitariums have large numbers of these people that were just hapless subjects of these experiments over the years? Uh, let me put it this way. Obviously, I can't prove that, but I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised and it's an absolutely realistic possibility. It's not just a crackpot theory. And uh, one of the things that sounds, did you hear about when you're a psychiatrist, and you just hear about it in general, is you know these really psychotic, mentally ill people who are walking around with tinfoil hats on their heads because they are beaming energy at their brains to control their brains. Right. And so they're right. universally taught in psychiatry what the average citizen thinks is that's obvious delusional insanity, there's no possibility. But actually, in fact, some of these people may not be crazy. They may actually be subjects of, unwitting subjects of non-lethal weapons research. So what we know for a documented fact is the military and intelligence community has experimented on unwitting civilians with radiation, high doses of radiation, uh, viruses, bacteria, and other forms of germs, radiation clouds, germs dispersed into the uh, general environment, uh, LSD on unwitting civilians. Including children. Including children. So this children has effectively gone on for a fact. So, And we know that these non-lethal weapons, that's the name for these different kinds of futuristic energy beam weapons, we know that they are in development at the scale of you know, whatever it is, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars of contracting, because there's an article in U.S. News and World Report 
some years back, describing a specific weapon, naming the contractor, Sandia Labs in uh, New Mexico, naming mm-hmm. the specific military aircraft that was used for the test run, talking about the specs of the energy beam, electromagnetic energy beam that was being shot out of this aircraft, talking about how deep it will penetrate somebody's skin, what the effects are on an experimental target. So this kind of technology is absolutely mm-hmm. in development, no mm-hmm. question, objective fact. Now, are you talking about the airborne laser aircraft or something else? This is uh, electromagnetic radiation that's invisible, and you don't actually feel it unless they crank it up mm-hmm. behind it burns your skin. Mm-hmm. And well, because I have to say, I've actually worked on the airborne laser uh, project itself based out of that area there, you know, Sandia Labs. But, you know, it was more, it was sold, let me put it this way, it was sold to burn missiles out of the sky, okay? Right. But in the same manner we've pointed out on Futurequake just a few years ago, when they proposed these less than lethal technologies that the were LRAD microwave the, uh, to, 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 yeah. to boil the water on your skin, right. they were to protect us from Muslim terrorists in Iraq exactly. that would attack our boys. Right. And we paid millions of dollars of taxpayer money to go to to protect them by making these weapons. You know, we've demonized these enemies, and now we're going to be able to use these these weapons to, uh, you know, since we've demonized and dehumanized them, we, we can actually use these kind of heinous weapons on them to send them over there. And surprise, surprise, a couple of years later, we find these same weapons being used at tea parties at our political conventions on our own soil. Right. And so I don't know how we can impress upon our listeners that these kind of activities, there's no compunction or resistance, and your book is a slam-dunk case for this, Mm. any kind of hesitancy that our leaders and our institutions would not use these horrible things against their own fellow citizens in our own country. Right, so therefore, given all this other history of using all kinds of crazy weaponized things on unwitting civilians, what are the odds that non-lethal weapons have never been tested on unwitting civilians? I'd say zero. Can I prove right. it? No. But therefore, I take the position that if somebody either emails me or I see them in an emergency room or somebody tells me the story of I'm wearing a tinfoil helmet because they are beaming energy at me trying to control my mind, number one, commercial buy it at the Target store tinfoil is a pretty good insulator against electromagnetic fields. <laughs> and it's used in like as a cheap insulator in biological labs all the time. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, someplace, one of these people telling this kind of crazy story is talking about something real. Mm-hmm. You know, other people are probably just mentally disturbed, but not all of them. And our government uses our main, our mainstream media, their partners, to keep saying that any of these kind of people that question these things, then it's just conspiracy theory as a means by which to shut down discussion or any kind of inquiry. And so they use their partners to do this. And and, and I'm sure they believe they can take these people and dump them out in the sanitarium. And as your book says, they already have agreements in place with these institutions. They already have contracts between the CIA and these institutions, hospitals, other places, to take their, their rejected refuse patients off their hands and basically dispose of them. So they've already established a system by which to just sort of disperse them back into the public, and they're confident nobody's going to believe them if they say that they've been exposed to these things. Right. There's actually a um, 
the document in the artichoke documents from back in the 50s where there's a couple pages on the subject of, quote, disposal of subjects. And they talk about um, using electric shock to wipe out the subject's memory so they can't remember the experiment. And then there's discussion. And this is what's actually declassified and released to the public. Yeah, they thought that was the safe data. That was not the light light stuff. Yeah, that was not the real intense information. And they're talking about, of course, well, another option is just kill them. I mean, this is in the documents. This is a topic of discussion, and they have meetings, and they go over it, and what do you think, and Mm -hmm. what do you think? Mm -hmm. It's a good thing we're a Christian nation. Otherwise, I would think we're a very immoral nation. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I'm I'm glad that we're spreading democracy and spreading our humanity and decency uh, to other parts of the world. I'm sure uh, Abu Ghraib and things like that are testimonies uh, to that. We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom, still appalled, maybe more appalled, bionic. Mm-hmm. Well, we got into this section more into the classic mind control work mm-hmm. that went way back. Uh, Dr. Estabrook in the book says it was going on in World War II, but we have lots of data suggesting immediately after the war, around the time of the v- uh, Korean War and afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the 50s, you know what's funny? The 50s was seen as a golden age mm-hmm. of America and how great America was. Because everybody was in mind control experiments. Well, yeah. At the minimum, it was a golden age of deception. Yeah. Where, where the public didn't know what was really going on. Mm-hmm. It was a very deceptive time in the world. Well, and we we started talking about this a little bit, but I am just, like, I can't believe that it was, like, systematic throughout the psychiatry community that they would be like, oh, yeah, we fed some kids some plutonium, they all got sick and died. It was not a secret. Yeah, we put a bunch of of chips in this poor girl's head and made her, you know, purple with rage and then hit another button and then just kind of did this on and on and on. That's why, if you can get people to read this book and get them to read and look at it, and then say, is it a big stretch to see the pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. wouldn't have any problem with giving you stuff that would be harmful to you? This guy, Jose Delgado, he talked about. That, yeah. That's like, yeah, that's everything that we talk about times ten. Another place he doesn't mention is about these people that were doing these, uh, like, electrodes and things like this mm-hmm. were considered the next step in the evolution of man. Oh. They were doing this. They thought actually they was doing a favor mm-hmm. in, in how they were, uh, you know, quoting. They said, "Yeah, electronic stimulation of the brain would advance man's evolution." Well, if people want to like go transhumanism, if people want to go check out Svali, check go go do a search on Svali. S V A L I. She has some very interesting information about all this stuff. She was a programmer mm-hmm. for. Uh, Illuminati, she says. Well, speaking of programmers for Illuminati, we need to bring Merv in to tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. <laughs> FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. All right. We've got to go. Let's get out of here, man. Come back tomorrow for the wrap-up. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. I just, I can't deal with this stuff. Bionic. Dumbfounded. I understand. Uh, he's talking about our interview this week, of which we're going into our last segment, with Dr. Colin Ross, the author of The CIA Doctors, talking about government records of CIA mind control of the public, both individuals and larger groups. And uh, Dr. Ross is a fantastic guest. I look forward to having him back. Mm-hmm. I only could bring out a tiny bit about what I've read in this book. I'm a slow reader. I have a hard time getting through a book quickly. And I'm just slow, so but it doesn't, <laughs> no, no. doesn't help. I can tell you I will never look at the world the same way again after looking at these pages. And when I look at a situation, when the government tells me something in the media that this is going on or this is what happened, I don't think I can ever believe them again. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I didn't before, but even more so now. Well, it's like I learn more of their tricks and techniques. You know, like well, like this guy uh, Hassan, what's his name, shot up Fort Hood. Mm-hmm. There's all this. Right. We've reviewed some of the crazy stuff that went on there that got right. Right. has been deleted, and now mm-hmm. you know you hear all this stuff. You're like, well, did this guy's programming yeah. go awry? Was he activated to do something dastardly? And it's a recurring theme, and know? it's not it's not out of the range of possibility. Yeah, we need to go to uh, Dr. Ross. And then we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Speaking of this topic, I I can't help but go in this direction. I know we're getting toward the conclusion here. Uh, if we have some time, I may have a few little peripheral things I want to ask you. But um, when I read this, and I suddenly realized, and I, I recommend every one of our listeners, it's essential you get this book, The CIA Doctors. Please get this book. Take the time to read it. You won't get a lot of sleep for that week. You get extra copies to give to your friends. Everything else we talk about future quick will be easier to understand once you grasp the hard data that Dr. Ross puts together. But evidence from what you've shown of these activities, how they can take people at will, uh, create people that can believe or say whatever they've implanted in their mind to do. I think of the fact right now that we have a bunch of guys from Guantanamo Bay that are coming to trial. They have supposedly confessed, and people are saying, one, we don't want to give them a standard jury trial in, in front of the public. We'd rather have it a secret military tribunal. We, we don't want all this to come out to light. Uh, the last time it happened, the guys were acquitted because there was no evidence against them. Yeah, so they don't, they don't, right, heaven, heaven forbid, because it, the question in most people's mind is not guilt or innocence. It's the fact that we've made a point to make us feel better. But um, given the fact that they can can control this. You know, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, they say, has been waterboarded hundreds of times. Right. Which people who have had it a single time say it's a traumatic thing, event they'll never forget. Right. Uh, I've heard word, I can't verify, but I've heard word that he has actually uh, confessed to bombing buildings that had not been built yet at the time he was taken into custody. But yeah. regardless of that, they if you torture someone and you know what you're doing in the right way, you can't get them to confess to virtually anything. Right. But it sounds like to me these techniques go a step farther, where not only can you get people to swear about certain things that they participated in or whatever, but even to believe it themselves, where they can believe in their own mind and can have an artificial history placed within them mm-hmm. by the power of suggestion that can put together a whole coherent story. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened to these people. I have no idea. They may have done all of these things. But one thing we do know is that they have been in the custody of the CIA for the entire duration of the time out of the public eye. Right. And totally unaware for anything. Is it feasible, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but is it feasible that this same kind of thing could happen by our own government? 
where where they could actually set up fall guys and patsies to to do what they want to do and use these kind of techniques in the war on terror itself. Definitely. Absolutely no question. And so oh, man. where do you go with that? So if you look at Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay, well, first of all, obviously that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's actually, um, which I learned from all my background reading on this book, there's an actual CI term called a limited hangout. Uh, a limited hangout is a disinformation strategy where you let out a little bit of the story in order to cover up the rest of the story. So, mm-hmm. it's, oh yeah, we uh, stole candy from the store and everybody goes and you know, does a million newscasts on stealing candy from the store, and then mm-hmm. nobody's talking about the fact that you raped mm-hmm. the storekeeper. Sort of right. basic strategy. They so move on. I'm sure Abu Ghraib and uh, Guantanamo Bay are limited hangout strategies, number one. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, well, we know there's the biscuit teams, the behavioral science consultation teams that have been operating there, and that physicians and psychologists have been active in those programs. We know they violate basic human decency, that the international community regards those techniques as torture, and that they're prohibited by any any kind of medical ethics going all the way back to the Romans. All that's for sure. And so you, absolutely you can't trust a confession coming out of one of those places. So you know, obviously yeah. there's some guys in there who probably are very bad people, have done very bad things, who are guilty sure. of all kinds of things, but you you can't tell just because somebody confesses that it's not just a manufactured mind control confession. And this is an absolute, mm-hmm. definite, realistic possibility. So this seems to me now. Now this is a main turning point in the minds of the public, and that's where I wonder, and uh, not to sound too conspiratorial, but too if, late. If, some, if somehow, <laughs> We're way past that. if somehow. The public, in all these years, they have taken things from an individual basis and been able to do it on a wider scale basis with the general public uh, through whatever primitive means. Because the American public, and, and even people of my background, evangelical, where we come from, are so resistant to even consider the thought that our own, own governments might be as much or bigger part of the problem than the boogeyman that we've been propped up in front of us to face. Right. Now, I say that, and I don't mean to say that lightly, because some of these gentlemen may have killed thousands of people. Right. And and if that's true, they need to be held fully accountable. But what I'm led to believe is if that is true, like our founding fathers believed, that our own government is often our biggest enemy, that it seems like the best thing we could do is to have a full and open trial, and that someone like a Dr. Colin Ross could go in and and review these patients go someone who knows what to look for actually go over them with a fine tooth comb and see if these are legitimate events actually expect additional corroborating data of course a lot of it could be planted but a lot of data external just to confessions to be able to explain this kind of stuff because to me the i have lost innocence after reading your book I can no longer look and even look at people's confessions and say, well, at least we solved that mystery. We understand now what went on. Uh, they they stepped forward. Now I can no longer even trust people's confessions at knowing really what went on. Well, the whole rationale for setting up all these mind control programs, which was just a cover story, was that our boys had been brainwashed into false confessions of germ warfare. 
So, right. I mean, we're the ones who said brainwashing results in false confessions. This is not, I mean, this is the official <laughs> position of the government as to why these programs were started. Excellent point. Hmm. Um, but so this but is our not a decision... conspiracy theory. This is the government's position on the matter. Right. That's exactly right. Well, the picture that you have painted is an infinitely more dangerous world than than even what we've covered in our show. If somebody ponders to think of the ramifications of it and what's going around, of course, it can make you excessively paranoid, and then you'll need treatment, medical tra- yeah. psychiatric treatment I'm yourself. I'm only going yeah, to call this a plot for psychiatry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be an excellent one, but for people like myself, because when I think about how how illusory our reality is and, and how um, unsteady and fragile it is. Our assumptions of what we understand is what's really going around us. Um, I'll mention yet one more time uh, to our listeners and to you, Dr. Ross, uh, Revelations 18, for those who, who actually take the Bible seriously, says that the great kings of the earth, the global kings of the earth, the, the kings and the great global merchants of the earth conspire together and it says they use sorcery, and the word is called pharmakia, the Greek word, which is the use of drugs to contact dark spiritual forces and also by which to alter the realities of people. It says they use pharmakia by which to deceive the nations of the earth. And that's that's old teaching. You know, that's several millennia ago. And that tells me, basically the data that you have, that's the context I put it within. That, that we should have anticipated this kind of activity ongoing. Definitely. That, and, this, that, and this comes right up to the present day. This is not just, you know, what happened 30 years ago, 40 years, 50 years ago. This plays right into uh, John Muhammad, the D.C. sniper who was just executed. He could have been involved in a program like that. The Fort Hood shooter. Mm-hmm. What is the role that, yeah. of these kind of mind control programs in all of these ongoing news stories? Going now, is our going is, is our co-host here? Right, our co-host here, uh, Tom pointed out that he the Fort Hood shooter was connected back to the area of Virginia Tech. Yeah, he was VT, and so right. I I read somewhere that he was even being seen by the same psychiatrist that uh, that that Korean gentleman who who w- was a Virginia Tech up, shooter yeah, was the right. Virginia Tech shooter, and there was some sort of there was some okay. definite weirdness that went on with with him, like he lost the records. For that guy Cho for four oh, yeah. years, and then all of a sudden they just sort of magically popped up, like oh they fell behind the cabinet. I don't know what happened. And one of it, the it guys just, who was shot at Fort Hood, you know, so there's just a bunch of random victims there, right? And just <laughs> that's, lone, that's what we've been told. Kind of went off the deep end. That's yeah, right. that's right. One of the, and this is easily found information that's you know publicly available on the internet. This is not any kind of deep throat information. One of the guys uh, who was killed, his last name is Caraveo, C-A-R-A-V-E-O. He was at uh, Guantanamo Bay for a year. He's a psychologist who worked at Guantanamo Bay for a year. Hmm, Is that just a random coincidence? Quite a number of the people who were killed were mental health workers, psychiatric nurses, and so on. And he knew these people. So whether he was acting alone or he was a patsy or his mind controlled, it seems unlikely to me that w- we know he was under the influence of this radical Amon, that he emailed back and forth to him. 
He shouted, you know, God be praised before he started the shooting. He uh, sent a lot of money over to Pakistan by wire. Uh, he wore his Arab garb to the 7-Eleven before, immediately before the shooting. We know all those things. So, and he was a psychiatrist. So what are the odds that he didn't know that this Caravale guy had been deployed at Guantanamo Bay for a year? Now, whether he was just angry at him individually because this guy had been torturing and working on Muslims, or this is some kind of convoluted payback, or who knows what actually went on there. But, but I you bet know what? When if guy... you look carefully, it's not just random targets there. Well, well can inter I, I, interesting, interesting you mentioned that, because right when that story broke, CNN had that, you know, there were there was multiple shooters, right. no, and they had, a, they had a... Yeah, and they had a couple of lines in the original story. I actually have it in my stack here somewhere still. Mm -hmm. uh, that he, th this shooter, one of the shooters ran off to a golf course, and the MP surrounded him, right. uh, stripped him and checked him for weapons, and laid him out there on the grass for an hour. And then a bunch of guys in a black crown Vic showed up in suits right, exactly. and picked yeah, him up. Material. Yeah, picked him up and drove off with him. Mm -hmm. You know, leaving these 400 MPs out there in the in the golf course. Well, one thing I was going to say for sure is that the kind of things that you point out, I can guarantee you the mainstream media will not look at a single one of them. Uh, no way. They're, they're not going to touch. Uh, they really got what they wanted. Uh, interest in the war was fading. Interest in doing these kind of things. It was at a uh, perplexing time on what to do in Afghanistan and issues in Iraq. And suddenly these events occur. And get everybody really, really energized. Right. And the media takes back over. They amplify it. They multiply it numerous times. Uh, they don't do any kind of reflection or checking their sources or additional information. Mm -hmm. So it requires, if, if, if independent media doesn't do this, it's not going to be looked up. Right. Uh, you're totally. finding, even, even in just like the, the sort of humdrum stuff, like the Tiger Woods stories and these kind of things, mm -hmm. most of these things are not broken by mainstream media. I, right. Even the, 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 the tabloid rags, <laughs> they're actually going Good out point. there and making some phone calls and checking leads right. and doing things. Now, I don't care about those stories, but the fact is somebody at least is doing some kind of pseudo-journalism. Yeah. There's absolutely no follow-up with the mainstream media because, as we've re re reported on our show, there are several Pentagon programs currently underway that we that we've listed that shows that they actually entertain certain people in to have certain positions, political positions, and to sell them on our mainstream media. And then you've got programs like Operation Mockingbird, where people like uh, um, Walter Cronkite and others were were actually CIA agents, uh, or excuse me, FBI FBI agents to actually direct the people and the news in a certain direction for their desired result. Right. Um, shortly after he died, you know, we had we'd read this about his participation in Operation Mockingbird. He was an avowed globalist too. Uh, received his award from the uh, World Federalist Society. Uh, and shortly after that, a word comes up in the news saying that the FBI accidentally lost his file, hmm. and they they've missed everything that they had as far as any kind of involvement they would have had with him. Uh, your book, as we we come here to, in closing, I just want to mention some of the parts we don't have time to talk about. Um, Dr. Estabrook, who really is sort of the hinge of everything, if there was ever a prototypical uh, person in this, uh, I, his was the quote that I read earlier. 
that really was the heart and soul of the the mind control studies from early days. He claimed, did he not, even World War II? Yeah, uh, about doing some of these activities. Active on contracts with the War Department in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Now there were organizations that were front organizations that were created that masqueraded as foundations and groups that were only CIA front organizations, right? Right. That helped Human facilitate these fund, activities. The Shifter Fund. Yeah, all again totally documented. And then there's other mysterious groups, like the Scottish Rite Foundation. The Masons? You've got the Masons, the Masons involved. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and if you can answer me this, you know, I, I read the passage where where the the 33rd degree Scottish Rite Masons are having conferences on schizophrenia talking about this. And, and you mentioned that virtually all of these uh, people who were involved were 32nd or 33rd degree Masons. Uh, I know you were very careful not to go down that path mm-hmm. and to and to sully the water with the the hard data you had in hand there, but do, do, does that give you any kind of impression or anything why groups like that are involved in this activity? Uh, well, in this book, exactly like you said, I decided to stick with the absolutely documented facts. Right. Because I was That's tempted right. to you know throw in something about a Kennedy assassination or throw in you know some other thing. Sure. That's interesting. But I said, no, 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 not for this book. I'm going to leave all that out. So, well, but right. what I did notice, but now, okay, the book's out. Now I can comment on what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had heard lo- stories from a variety of patients about uh, ritual abuse practices of you know, groups of masons. So I was aware of that, and I was keeping an eye out for things. And I did notice repeatedly throughout these documents that there was projects they were cross-funded by the U.S. Public Health Service, the CIA front organizations, and the Masons. And there was a lot of cross-linkages. And a lot of these doctors, including Esther Brooks himself, were uh, 33-degree Masons. So mm-hmm. the Masons organization is somehow tied into this whole story in some sort of structured, systematic way. The average man on the street, Mason, I'm sure, knows absolutely nothing about it. Sure. Uh, And so that's not just, you know, bogus. I'm not anti-Masonic for any particular reason. Mm -hmm. There's a whole dimension of the story there that I haven't unearthed that Mm -hmm. warrants investigation. Well, um, at a minimum, what I would say are groups like the Freemasons or Skull and Bones or similar groups is that they train and cultivate people who know how to keep their mouth shut and keep secrets. And they also know how to uh, basically rationalize the thought that the end justifies the means. They have agendas. They're broad-sweeping. They're societal in nature. And they can do rather unsavory things to be what they say is for the betterment of mankind as a whole, Mm -hmm. which obviously is a requirement for people who work in this kind of field. Uh, Otherwise, they would never sleep a wink at night. Uh, if they did this kind of work. Now, your book as well as our listeners who, who I'm strongly insisting they get your book, will read about Patty Hearst, mm-hmm. uh, about the Symbionese Liberation Army, about the evidence that she was exposed to it by an independent party who who also may have learned the ropes on mind control when he was exposed to it by the government in prison, correct? Yeah. Yeah, Donald DeFries, who was the head of the Symbionese Liberation Army that captured Patty Hearst, uh, was worked on by a guy named Colston Westbrook, who was a psychological warfare consultant in uh, the Vietnam War. He 
he went into Vacaville State Prison under cover of the Black Cultural Association. He uh, gave Donald DeFries his code name of Sinkyu, devised the logo of the Symbionese Liberation Army, and uh, you know there's a whole no end to all the intrigue and the cross linkages yeah. and, and that story. Named his own children after that gentleman's name, if I remember right. Yeah. And Patty it's Hearst, in her to... biography, says that, that Donald DeFries was uh, obsessed with Colston Westbrook and thought that he was a federal agent. So, so, so this is already an example of a criminal, a widespread criminal and killer, who was a fruit of a military program, a military mind. You know, we're talking about these terrorists. We already have evidence where this has already happened already, mm-hmm. where they've already done and wreaked havoc in society as a right. as a byproduct of what they've done or revenge or, or whatever like that. Uh, it ties into Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Yeah. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan, you have a whole passage on him yeah. and how some of his may have even been self-inflicted. Uh, to be able to get him in the state to do what he did. It's still an open question in my mind, was he handled and controlled by somebody? I couldn't gather evidence to you know, support that conclusion. And mm-hmm. I used his story for you know, to illustrate some points in my book. But, mm-hmm. um, for instance, well, it, it's a whole other two hours to go into it, but right. w- what amazes me most about Sirhan Sirhan and the Bobby Kennedy shooting is He's in prison. He still has amnesia for the shooting up to the present day. But there's in uh, books written about the Kennedy assassination, there's photographs of the um, Los Angeles County coroner who's at the crime scene after Bobby's been shot. And he's got a ruler, and he's counting and measuring the bullet entry holes in the surrounding walls and door jams. And when you add up the number of bullet entry wounds in the people on site, the door jams, and the walls, it's more than the number of chambers in Sirhan's gun. This is a basic physical mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the video of Sirhan Sirhan shooting Kennedy, you can see on the video it's crystal clear that he's several feet out in front of Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And the official conclusion is that Kennedy died from a bullet entry behind his ear from a couple of inches away. Mm -hmm. These are just the basic physical facts of the case. And then, surprise, surprise, the uh, Los Angeles Police Department disposes of all physical evidence in the case nine months after the shooting. Mm -hmm. You know, that same thing happened at Ground Zero 911. They disposed of all the evidence there, too, within days afterwards. It was carted off and put on ships to China. I used to be uh, you know, in the camp of, okay, 9-11 was an inside U.S.-driven operation. That's too much. That's going too far. Mm-hmm. But I'm swinging over to the other viewpoint the more I learn. Oh, about man. The, the more you learn. And in conclusion here, I just want to say to, to our listeners, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what's in the book. Mm-hmm. You need to read it, and it. What will happen to you when you read this book is the same thing as when you listen to Future Quake. It will change the way you look at the world, and that's what our listeners. We have five to ten emails a day from new listeners who say that listening to Future Quake has changed the way they look at the world, and they took a big step in that direction uh, today with yeah. listening. Listening to just this one show is going to change the way you 
look at the world. What can what can we and our listeners do to help you in your research and trying to uncover the truth of what's going on in society? Uh, just be critical consumers of information. That's the number one thing. Okay. I would say. Can we help you directly? Is there a way that we can assist you in your work and your cause and your research? Yeah, I need $5 million right now. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the easy part. What about yeah, the, now the, where's the, the hard part? Yeah. You know us wealth, uh, wealthy uh, evangelists, televangelists. Right, right, yeah. we, we just kicking money around here. Um, uh, well, just have me back on your program. It's a future date. That's something you do. Hey, that's a good idea. We would be honored. Consider it a standing invitation when you can work for time in your uh, – because there's much more for us to talk about than what we covered here today. Uh, and I will leave you with a closing word. We have a cl- very close friend of our show who is a world-class documentary filmmaker by the name of Chris Pinto. Oh, yeah. And he produced a docu- – yes, he produced a documentary called The Kinsey Syndrome that was released last year. Mm-hmm. And it is a mirror to the data that you shared with us about Alfred Kinsey, about the same kind of front organizations right. and how he had – preschools and and parents and others that were sexually molesting their children to collect data. It's right right there sitting in government reports. And I've talked to him about your work, and I think he he might like to talk with you sometime. I'd I'd love to do a documentary uh, on a whole series of documentaries, actually. Well, you won't have a you you won't have a higher class production than yeah. what you'll see from it's, from Adolin really, Films. Really They're good. Uh, award winning uh, productions, and if you anywhere online you go, uh, Radio Liberty or other places like that, you'll see them prominently displayed. Uh, God bless you and your work. Yeah. You know, we Thank didn't you. talk about your sp- your spiritual uh, uh, backgrounds and things like that. You didn't get into that, but I believe you're doing God's work. Thank you. Well, that's, and, that's a whole other thing is my views on atheism and monotheism and science, and that's a whole other area I'm into. Well, we'll put that down for the list, too. Yeah. We've got to say goodbye, but I want to thank you again, and please come back again soon on FutureQuake as soon as you can spare some time with us. Sure. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. We're back at FutureQuake with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionicus. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this last segment, we got into some of the other players that were involved, people like Patty Hearst. Yeah. uh, The mind control that was used on her, Sir Mm -hmm. Sirhan. Yeah. What was involved with him. Well... Yeah, that People's Temple was involved, and these people were actually interacted. And there's a CIA handprint on almost every one of them. Yeah, well, and there's a CIA connection. Well, how about this one for you? The guy that checked out uh, both Jack Ruby and uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a uh, uh, MK Ultra guy. Surprise, surprise. Jolin Jolin West. Right. He looked at a bunch of people too. He's in the book too. Yeah, he's in the book. That guy is like, we gotta go. Yeah, all right, let's go. Speaking of mind control, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners, suggest to them to contact us at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, let's come go. back for tomorrow's yep. Trevor's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Quick. Uh, we only try to, to impress you with the news and control you, but until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Just, uh, I can't believe what all's going on in the world today, Bionic. That's a good middle name. Man, it is Very just good. like, it is like, uh, welcome to the world, here's your textbook. Oh, it's Revelation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Wow. It's like post-abyss. You know, the abyss opening would actually be the good news. Yeah. You know, on today's side. On the lighter side, the abyss opened and yeah. locusts came up from out of the <laughs> furnace. But at least the temperatures rose a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you, and it's another Friday, which uh, means it is what? It is tomorrow's tremors or today's future quake radio view of the news. All right. Yeah, that's real good. Or as I would say it, tomorrow's tremors are today's review of the Futures News, where we uh, get an opportunity to review the news at the end of the week after a, a very relaxing, uh, low-key interview with Dr. Colin Ross. Oh, man, I can't. That And, and I've got some stories here that, that relate to that, too. Really? That whole thing, that whole, I'll give you a hint, the whole Copenhagen thing has come unraveled. Uh, the UN has said that uh, they call for a reduced role in the UN. They call for all of the money that's going flowing for these carbon credits to go to private banks. This is in there. This is in the own document. And then, uh, and then they're going to radically increase the taxes on developing nations. Hmm. It's like, well, holy. maybe that's good news for us because I think we're no longer a developing nation. I think we're post-developing. Man, from what I've heard. You know stuff is bad when people are calling me for money. You know, <laughs> you know, I feel like I've just come out of MK Ultra program myself. That's been my kind of week. Really? I wish I had amnesia so I wouldn't remember how this last week's been. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we hope that you can hear us correctly here. <laughs> We're on totally new hardware here uh, for everything. And I have, even though I'm an engineer by training, I have no savvy on electronics at all. And have been stumbling through and... I won't bore you with the comedy of errors on, on this computer, but yeah. it's been a bunch of things that have chewed up a bunch of time uh, over, I don't know, what happens often with Mrs. Future and I. Yeah. People say they can do X, Y, Z. Hold on, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And then you find out later, they say, I don't know, this has always worked before. And it's been one after the other of that. Yeah, so uh, hopefully this will work okay. We've got uh, equipment that's somewhat debugged. So appreciate everybody's patience. Yeah. Uh, it's really limited. It's firstly shut down my ability to answer emails um but every email gets read here we get talked about even the ones that are uh get get hard on us yep so uh well at least at least pyro's on you know as our audience grows, yeah you can hear pyro yeah as our audience grows uh we get more and more people who maybe don't fully get future quake or for whatever have other issues (laughs) what are you talking about uh some of these folks have been saying we've been getting a little hard on uh, some of these other christian shows so we need to extend a little grace. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah. I tend to get too fired up about it sometimes. Me too. Because they're... Me too. ...spreading untruth. Right. And, and sometimes when I get in my house, that's when I need to be knocked off. But it's... Uh, yep. Sometimes things need to be said. Yep. You know? If they're not said anywhere yeah. else. But uh, that's it for me. Enough of my whining. I'm very slowly, even though I've got this cough still, which is really worse now that I'm on the air now. Mm-hmm. But um, amazingly, uh, how it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's fine until yeah. it just went on air. <laughs> the camera puts on ten pounds in the microphone yeah. and makes you sound like Larry King. It's like it's like shoved down my larynx. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, hopefully things are going to get back to whatever's normal. I don't know what's normal. I don't even future know what's quake. normal anymore either. But you got a story for us. I do. Why don't you lay it on us? All right. Millions in U.S. drink dirty water. 
Oh, I love that dirty water. <laughs> oh, Boston, you're my home. Straight from the Rockies. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Not a clue. That's a classic song of the 60s, Dirty Water by the Standells. Wow. No, I don't know that one. Yeah, it's called Dirty Water. Yeah, well, people, people, I keep telling people, don't drink, you know, unfiltered water out of your tap. Mm-hmm. It's got fluoride and chlorine. I can't even fill up my little water filter without... When I put my nose kind of in the in the you know the tank, mm-hmm. the fill tank, I go, ah, that smells terrible. Hmm. That's like, man, that's bad. I don't mm-hmm. want to drink that. And I, I thought that for a while, I thought maybe they were increasing the chlorine in the water. Mm-hmm. It's just because I've gotten used to drinking filtered water, hmm. and it's just so much mm-hmm. better. You know, also if you're off the Pacific uh, West Coast up there where Longshoreman Johnny is, mm-hmm. you got to be careful because they always have a lot of these disembodied feet floating in the water. Have you? Been what keeping are up you with that. About? Yeah, they've had this thing that's gone on for years, where they find feet that just float up on shore, and they're still in like a shoe, but there's just just a foot. Like I think it's a, always a left foot. Whoa! So I don't know if it's a cult thing, but it's been going on for years. Yeah, so just lots like, and lots of feet collected. That sounds like a sounds like a cult thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, more than 20% of the nation's water treatment systems have violated key provisions of the Safety Drinking Water Act over the last five years, according to a New York Times analysis of federal data. That law requires communities to deliver safe tap water to local residents. But since 2004, the water provided to more than 49 million uh, people has contained illegal concentrations of chemicals like arsenic or radioactive substances like uranium, as well as dangerous bacteria often found in sewage. Mm. You're right. Somebody, who, all those people out here who laughed at me for getting a Berkey. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. You know, they haven't even mentioned all the pharmaceuticals that people flush down the drain that comes I know. back in it. I know. Bovine growth hormone. I want to buy like two Berkeys and have the second Berkey filter the first Berkey just mm-hmm. to make sure I get everything out of it. You'd have the filthy Berkey and the clean Berkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Regulators were informed of each of those violations as they occurred. But regulatory records show that fewer than 6% of the water systems that broke the law were ever fined or punished by state or federal officials, including those at the Environmental Protection Agency, which has ultimate responsibility for enforcing codes. Studies indicate that drinking water contaminants are linked to millions of instances of illness within the United States each year. Hmm. There you go. It's like but that's that government regulation. Yeah, there you we go. We can rest easy at night because government <laughs> regulations got that under control. Well, now that they've now that they uh, can't even deliver clean water to our tap, like let's get them in mm-hmm. charge of the minutia of hospitals and doctors and the climate and everything mm-hmm. else. Just mm-hmm. let us micromanage it. Everything. Come on, folks. Put ourselves one hundred percent at risk. Your lives, your lives will be so good if we can micromanage everything that you can do. That's right. We're going to tax your cars and tax your breathing and. Even tax your sheepoo. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> even if someone was totally incompetent, you know, like they say, oh, don't drink well water, that's really bad. I'm not so sure any of that stuff's worse than the, this kind of stuff you're mm-hmm. talking about. Uh, you know, it's, uh, people, you know, will say, uh, uh, aren't you afraid to fly? Or, you know, people who are afraid of this kind of It's like, well, no. You know, at least those people know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, w- I would assume that uh, even if those people, if they'd had a little too much to drink, they would probably land the plane quicker than if I drove in a car. So I would say even those of us who maybe aren't on top of our capabilities, yeah. if you're looking out for yourself, you're going to do a better job than what these people are. 
No kidding. And I don't, and ultimately, I mean, for me, it really is. It really has nothing to do with job. It's 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 my life, man. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get to tell me. It's my life, and I do what I want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's a philosophical argument that has profound implications. It's not. It is not your life, mm-hmm. uh, dear government official. It is my life. But that psyche has been broken. That that paradigm where people presume, well, the government's got it. If, if there's any issue in life, the government's somewhere got to be around to be taken care of it for me. Oh yeah, I know. And that was not the American way of thinking until what seventy, eighty years ago. I know. It's funny to sit and it's funny to sit and uh, talk to older people who seem to have been raised with all of this idea. Uh, they get it, but... But those people are dying off. Yeah. There's less and less of yeah. people. You remember a world where mm-hmm. the government didn't control everything? Yes. You know? All right, hit us with okay. another story. Okay. This is one that's uh, a little up- uplifting from Reuters. Ahmadinejad reportedly claims U.S. is blocking return of mankind's savior. Uh, Iran's President Mamoun Ahmadinejad speaks in... Kar- uh, Caracas, Venezuela, on November 25th. Uh, it says that he claims the United States is attempting to thwart the return of mankind's savior, according to reports from El Arabiya, uh, a television news station based in Dubai. Ahmadinejad reportedly claims he has documented evidence that the U.S. is blocking the return of the Mahdi, the wow. imam believed by Muslims to be the savior. Yeah, I'd love to have him on our show to, to reveal that data. Call him up. Because, you know, Tom Horn and others have talked about the fishy conditions on why we have our people in Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. Collecting all these ancient relics and other kind of things, yeah. and maybe Stargate stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a spiritual battle going on, on on both sides of that border that we're not privy to. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it says, uh, uh, we, we have documented proof that they believe that a descendant of the Prophet of Islam will raise in these parts, and he will drive the roots of all injustice in the world, Ahmadinejad said during a speech on Monday, according to Al-Arabiya. They have devised all these plans to prevent the coming of the hidden imam because they know that the Iranian nation is the one that will prepare the grounds for his coming and will be the supporters of his rule, Ahmadinejad was quoted as saying. Ahmadinejad continued the rant by claiming that there have been plots by both the West as well as countries in the East to wipe out his country, according to the Iranian news website Tabak. They have planned to annihilate Iran. This is why all policymakers and analysts believe Iran is the true winner in the Middle East. Ahmadinejad was quoted as a saying by the site. He also alleged that four nations seek to control Iran's oil and natural resources. In Afghanistan, they are caught like an animal in a quagmire. But instead of pulling their troops out to save themselves, they are deploying more soldiers. Even if they stay in Afghanistan for another 50 years, they will be forced to leave with disgrace because this is a historical experience, Ahmadinejad reportedly said. They know themselves that they need Iran in the Middle East, but because of their arrogance, they do not want to accept this reality. They are nothing without the Iranian nation, and all their rhetoric is because they don't want to appear weak. Wild. Yeah. Wild. I think we need to get him on to talk about what they're doing to hold back the. Sure, you know, uh, that would certainly be a uh, a landmark a landmark radio interview. And we could have Robert Hyde on too. Yeah, well, that'd, be uh, that'd, be, that'd be an interesting one to have together. Yeah. Uh, 
You know, I personally believe, at least I have a hypothesis, that if someone appears that fills that office of imam, mm-hmm. that uh, he'll actually be uh, what the Bible calls Gog. Mm. That the the actual nations that in Ezekiel thirty seven or thirty eight and thirty nine that are talked about mm-hmm. uh, are all the kind of nations that they're teaching the twelfth imam is supposed to assemble mm. and then come against Israel. I know that you've mentioned that uh, to me. Ad, ad nauseum. No, I don't know about ad nauseum, but you mentioned it a few times. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting hypothesis. So I, it won't go away. Yeah, well, it's it's very interesting. It looks like we're going to see here sooner rather than later, unfortunately. Well, what do you think? What's the, what's the odds of how soon? Oh, gosh. Um, I hate to give away some spoilers of our guests next week, but I'll tell you what. I was looking online uh, at some stuff that was published about uh, mind control and building uh, satanic super soldiers and stuff mm-hmm. uh, via a lady named Svali. And I talked to a friend of mine who uh, has a background in uh, mm-hmm. uh, psychiatry, and he kind of he dropped bombshell after bombshell on me. We'll just Like about dates? No, not necessarily about dates, but uh, just about how everything she said was basically true. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it's like, wow. So how does this relate to when stuff might be happening? Well, my my mention was that it was going to be sooner rather than later, and Spali okay. makes the same really? okay. assertion that it's like hmm. you might want to go down to the store and buy uh, two gallons of milk instead of one. Okay. Because, you know... <laughs> there may be get ex, may be, get extra bananas because they probably won't turn green yeah or turn yeah. brown you're gonna in. yeah you're gonna need them because there won't be any there like next week okay yeah wow okay thanks for that uh, uplifting word what you need well to I'll tell you what yeah well speaking of some other uplifting stuff uh you know we know uh that's Copenhagen climate set uh summit here which we kind of went over with uh, uh Dr Kaufman when, when does that end I don't know. I don't know when that ends. Just about the time the abyss opens. Yeah, I mean it would be the end for all of us, I know, but yeah. I just wondered. No, I don't. I don't know. Okay. I think it's. I think it might be a little open-ended, to be honest. Hmm. Um, in other words, they just until people finally quit looking and watching the news, then they go past everything. Yes. That's yeah. Yep. People get hoarse from complaining. There. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Copenhagen Climate Summit in disarray after Danish text leak. Uh, and this is their this is their uh, uh, the the text from what they were trying to put mm-hmm. out there got leaked. The UN Copenhagen climate talks are in disarray today after developing nations uh, reacted furiously to leaked documents that show world leaders will next week be asked to sign an agreement that hands more power to rich countries and sidelines the UN's role in all future climate change negotiations. Uh, hmm. The, the co- document is also being interpreted by developing countries as setting unequal limits on per capita carbon emissions for developing, developed and developing nations in 2050, meaning that people in rich countries would be permitted to emit nearly twice as much under the proposals. Uh, is that because they could have more money to buy, like, cap and trade? Yes. Carbon credits or things? And it, and it gets it gets worse, too, because what happens, uh, uh, some other analysis that I've read, says that what happens is uh, it ain't, it's not the common person in these more developed countries that can buy these things. It's only the very, only the most, um, only the biggest companies can afford to buy it. Hmm. So no small companies, only big companies in developed nations okay. can be able to buy it. And uh, meanwhile, they, you know, they dump like arsenic down the street. Wow. You know. 
A confidential analysis of the text by developing countries, also seen by The Guardian, shows deep unease over details of the text. In particular, it is understood to force developing countries to agree to specific emission cuts and measures that were not part of the original UN agreement. So, uh, much like... Uh, much like many of the many of the bailout and TARP programs, they've written a treaty and halfway through they've just decided to randomly uh, change it. You know, hmm. it's like, well, this wasn't part of the original agreement. Well, yeah, I know, we're just going to add some stuff. Uh, divide poor countries further by creating a new category of developing countries called the most vulnerable. Weaken the UN roles in handling climate finance. Not allow poor countries to emit more than 1.44 tons of carbon per person by 2050, while allowing rich countries to emit 2.67 tons per person. Uh, Developing countries that have seen the text are understood to be furious that it's being promoted by rich countries without their knowledge and without discussion in negotiations. Um, It is being done in secret. Clearly, the intention is to get Obama and the leaders of other rich countries to muscle it through when they arrive next week. It effectively is the end of the UN process, said one diplomat who said who was asked to remain nameless. And it gets weirder too. Uh, there are there are places in that in that Danish text. Uh, mm-hmm. You can go to Scribd actually, S K R I B D. D. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and read it there. Search for Danish text. You can find places in the original document where they originally you know intentionally leave lines blank. So that uh, the the people who purview the contract can write in who they want later mm. <laughs> behind closed doors. Yes, smoke filled rooms. It's it's like a it's like like a three year old you know make a contract. You know, it's interesting to hear the new, the uh, UN whining because they're they're a bunch of evil people themselves. Mm-hmm. But when you get a lot of evil conniving people, they will stick it to each other as yep. well as the rest of us. Who can connive the most? You know, and that there's a picture of that in the Bible. With the great whore Babylon, uh-huh. who is who is betrayed by the beast, and they destroy her, and yes. that's pretty much the symbol. But there, there's two things. One is when a bunch of either people either either they will actively destroy them to capitalize on it like that, mm-hmm. or in the next chapter you see a case of all these great merchants and others who exploited the great city Babylon, but don't lift a finger to come to her rescue when she's destroyed. Then, mm. so it's either either total abandonment or active betrayal. In discussion, yeah. and that's Welcome like the Bible says. That's right. That's how the Gentiles think. Yeah. Basically, the Bible says. Yeah, they lord it over each other. Yeah, well, and well, there's there's a whole lot of lording it over everybody at Copenhagen. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. You know, I bet you there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on there. I'll bet, man. It's too bad we couldn't. It's too bad the uh, the future quake coffers weren't vast and we could fly a delegation over there. Why don't you say a prayer right now All for right. the forces of good? In mm-hmm. Copenhagen right now, and bind the hands of the forces of evil. That sounds like a great idea, Heavenly Father, Lord. Uh, we just come before you here real quickly, and uh, I don't even know where to begin uh, to pray against all this evil, evil Lord. But uh, but you know, so Lord, I will just ask that you go to wherever the battle is needed most, uh, wherever your spirit and wherever your hand is needed most, Lord. I pray specifically that by the power and authority of Jesus Christ, you go specifically against all of the evil spirits and all of the evil entities and all the evil forces there in Copenhagen, Uh, that you knock down strongholds and you destroy walls, Lord, Uh, that you trample trample evil underfoot wherever it may may be, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. I hope as Christians we get used to doing that more because it's a spiritual war no that kidding. we have. We wrestle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The principalities <laughs> and powers. How much clearer can they make yeah. it? Um, can I read about one of my favorite guys again here? Another person I'd like to have it on with, Mahmoud. Okay. And that is uh, Eric Prince, oh, the yeah. head of uh, Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, he He's a gift that keeps his, on giving. I wonder if his middle name is Dark. That's presumed. Uh, and this this is out of, uh, oh, I just, I think, I just missed the, uh, I, I cut off the article here. It's a mainstream magazine here. Okay. I think it's Salon or one of these other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, is Eric Prince gray mailing the U.S. government? Not blackmailing, but gray mailing. Gray mailing, huh? Okay. It says, um, the in-depth Vanity Fair profile of the infamous owner of Blackwater, Eric Prince, appeared to give the story's author, former CA lawyer Adam Sorowski, which also you can find that online right now. I have a, oh. another print out of that article. Um, unprecedented access to information about sensitive, classified, and lethal operations, not only of Prince's forces, but of Prince himself. In the article, Prince is revealed not just as an owner of a company that covertly provided contractors to the CIA for drone bombings and targeted assassinations, but as an actual CIA asset himself. While the f- oh, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, while the story appears to be simply a profile of Prince, it might actually be the world's most famous mercenary's insurance policy against future criminal prosecution. Interesting. The term of art for what Prince appears to be doing in the VF interview is called gray mail, a legal tactic that has been used for years by intelligence operatives or assets who are facing prosecution or fear they soon will be. In short, these operatives or assets threaten to reveal details of sensitive or classified operations in order to ward off indictments or criminal charges based on the belief that the government would not want these details revealed. He's building building them up of protection here. The only reason Prince would do this is that he feels that he's in very serious jeopardy of criminal criminal charges, says Scott Horton, a prominent national security and military law expert. He absolutely would not do these things otherwise. Wow. There is no doubt Prince is in the legal crosshairs. There are reportedly two separate grand juries investigating Blackwater on a range of serious charges, ranging from gun smuggling to extra-legal killings, uh, multiple civil lawsuits alleging war crimes and extrajudicial uh, killings, and Congress is investigating the assassination program in which Prince and his company were central players. Obviously, Prince does uh, does know a lot, and the government has to realize that once they start prosecuting him, says Melanie Sloan, a former federal prosecutor and executive of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. In some ways, gray mail is what a good defense lawyer would do. This is something that's in your arsenal. So, <clears throat> just a little bit more here. Uh, perhaps the most prominent case of gray mail was by Oliver North. Oh, yeah. When he and his lawyers used it to force dismissal of the most serious charges against him, stemming from his involvement in the Iran-Contra affair. When he started talking about Rex 84? <clears throat> no. Well, we'll see here. In, in another case known as Kazakh Gate, a U.S. Uh-huh. businessman. Oh, it, you could be right on that. Yeah. A U.S. businessman, James Giffen allegedly paid $78 million in bribes to former Kazakh prime minister in an attempt to win contracts for Western oil companies to develop the Tengiz oil fields in the 1990s. In 1993, he was charged with violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act 
in the largest overseas bribery case in history. After Geffen was indicted, he claimed that he did what he was accused of, that if he did, he did it in the service of U.S. intelligence agencies. The case has been in limbo ever since. How low can you go? Mm-hmm. That's right. Through the limbo. Go on, I'm sorry. And they, and they said this is as old as the hills as a tactic. and has a long track record of being effective against the government. It's basically a threat to the government that if you prosecute me, I'll disclose all sorts of national security sensitive information. Huh. Uh, the bottom line is it's like an act of extortion or a threat. If you do X, uh, and this is what I'm going to do. Wow. So he says uh, uh, in the Vanity Fair article, Prince was essentially putting out a warning to the Department of Justice. You prosecute me and all this stuff will be on the record. That's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Because in this article, which maybe we can read another time, Prince was a full-blown asset of the CIA's National Resources Division, which recruited Prince in 2004 to join a secret network of American citizens with special skills or unusual access to targets of interest. Wow. And it goes on and on here. Um, Wow, wow, wow. After this week's show, do you get a feeling that maybe we don't know the whole story of what's going on? Dude, I don't... It's not that this stuff will... I don't need to know any of that kind of stuff. It totally changes how you view the good and bad guys. Yeah. I, it's like everything has come unhinged. The door swinging wide open, and it's like you woke up one morning and it went out to go feed the cows, and you found out that there was a flock of giant waffles in the front yard or something. It's exactly like, what I was thinking. There's just the whole uh, the idea being is that uh, something so unexpected you just don't even know what to do with it. Right. Right. You know? And the Bible implies that that's the world we live in. I didn't see anything in there about flesh eating waffles. I don't know what Bible you're reading. Well, you get a concordance. <laughs> Look under double. Yeah. You're, you're waffling with me on this. <laughs> All right. Well, we're I know we're we're coming up to the end here in the last minute. Any okay. last words you have before we? Brussels gives CIA the power to search UK bank records. That's the headline. Brussels gives CIA. Yeah. Well, now, if they're a foreign intelligence agency to the British, uh-huh. who says that the MI6 can't look at ours? Yeah. Exactly. Basically, anybody can do whatever they want to do, yep. except people like you and me and the other Futurians out there. Yeah. Uh, and the the article, that's the that's the headline, and it gets worse. We it can't gets, even grow so our crazy. own vegetables. Yep. This looks like yet another example of lopsided post-9-11 compromise and of the ease with which temporary agent emergency measures are foisted on us that turn permanent. Hmm. The last sentence from the article, and I thought it was per- particularly timely. We need to hurry and bring Merv in. Merv, would you tell our listeners how to contact us here at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to wrap up. All right, let's get out. Come back for another great week. Uh, with a new guest next week. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time 
as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.